Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Trigger warning. The following episode contains descriptions of graphic violence and adult language. Viewer discretion is advised. I'm Danielle. I'm Max. And each Wednesday, we crack open a bottle of wine and dive in to some thrills, chills, and spills. This is Innocent Till Tipsy. This one's going to be a rough Wednesday. 10 out of 10, not a good time. Um, mm. <laughs> and do you remember the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose? Yeah, it's like horrifying. It like sticks yeah. with you forever and ever. Yeah. It. it was like... That's why those- I, as a disclaimer, I told you, I was like, I remember it just fine. I am not watching it again. <laughs> <laughs> I I want to rewatch it now because it's been a few years. It used to be one of my favorite horror movies because it scared the ever living shit yeah. out of me. I know I was raised Christian, um, evangelical and kind of Baptist as well. So that like the whole the devil is real. God is real. Even what Ed Warren said in the last episode. And it's who you elect to choose like. depends on your fate like that's what I grew up with so this seemed very real to me when it came out in 2005 and I was kind of glad TikTok like now like looking at this case now I'm glad TikTok didn't exist in that time frame because I don't know if you remember but the tapes of the real exorcism of Emily Rose were leaked onto YouTube during that time do you remember that yeah that kind of rings a bell yeah So, so I remember listening with like all my friends in high school to like this real exorcism and it being like so horrifying you can hear like agonizing screams chants and incoherent languages like things just don't always make sense from the girl who was Emily Rose was based off of Annalise Michelle and disclaimer here I am not German there is going to be many things I say in this that are just completely mispronounced because I am not from Germany and I do not know how to speak German. You're ruining so, it. <laughs> I know. I know. So excuse me, but I believe her name is pronounced Annalise Michelle for us English speaking people over on this side of the pond. Um, but the tape is chilling. Like now I guess recording is chilling. And at the time I thought it was because like a demon like possessed this girl. But now I'm thinking like, well, it's because we're hearing a very unwell woman dying of neglect and dehydration and malnutrition. Also not good to listen to. No, she died at the age of 23. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause I remember thinking like she was in college or university as you call it. Um, Yes. (laughs) At the beginning of the movie or whatever. Yeah. And she, yeah, well, so I will say um, concerning the movie and um, what really happened to Annalise Michelle, it seems kind of on par. You know, the movie obviously has a lot of paranormal entities involved in it, and that depends on what you believe um, with what happened in this case. But we're going to dive into kind of what was going on culturally at the time, why this whole thing happened, what exactly happened to Annalise Michelle. Was it demonic possession or could it perhaps have been mental illness combined with epilepsy, combined with 
priests utilizing an exorcism for possible political motivations in the church. There's a lot at stake here with this whole exorcism that happened in the 70s in Germany, in a very small town in Germany. But Annalise would have over 67 exorcisms performed over her within a four-month period. So that's one to two exorcisms a week that were performed on her that would last anywhere between one to four hours. It sounds exhausting. Exhausting. But um, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. So at the time of her death, she was only 68 pounds. Oh my gosh. I didn't yet. Whoa. That's tiny. Yeah. So I wanted to show you real quick before we dive into the wine. I wanted to show you a photo of Annalise. Scared. I don't trust you anymore with these. Photos. No, this is this is a nice photo of her. Okay. okay. This is what she looked like before. I won't like this one's rough. It's really bad. Um like PSD yeah. from you. I know. It's pretty rough. And then I wanted to show you Aww, um yeah. very beautiful young lady. Yeah. And then this is her when she was being exercised, and this is her mother holding her. And we're gonna get into her mother, her family, her whole, Not gonna whole like nine this. yards. It's not great. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's rough. So she she doesn't even look like the same person. Not at all. Not at all. She doesn't even look like she's the same age. And you mentioned she Mm. lost a ton of weight. So she just looks extra um, like fragile and like grotesque, like really. Yeah. And it's it's a very hard picture to look at. It's a very hard picture to look at, especially when you see what what she came from, you know, before heading to university mm-hmm. and everything else into what happened. Um, and so after last week's case of the Warrens looking into them and um, the fight between good and evil, God and the devil, I wanted to kind of touch on this haunted tale for spooky season that many to this day still believe was the work of the devil himself or possibly God himself. And we'll get into what a possession of atonement um, is perceived as uh, by the Catholic Church and a few other things. But before we dive into that, let's dive into the wine. And we have a question from one of our Patreon members that I wanted to bring up as well. All right, the wine. I had to double check because uh, I was like, this looks familiar, but it is familiar. It's Cannonball. Back again. We did it again. Um, it's Merlot. It's the Cannonball Merlot. This is 2017. I have to actually check my, our wine. What is that? Oh, it's like the cork. It's cool. Like, like a child. <laughs> I was like, what? Doing a cannonball. It's um, a child. We, it's a child. We did have the um, Cannonball 11 Merlot on um, the episode that we did about Dan Schneider and the evolution of mm. predators in Hollywood. So that's when we drank it. Um, it's really, really good. It's around $20, I believe. And this is from our friends at Naked Wines. Yeah. Um, and as a reminder, uh, Naked Wines funds uh, independent winemakers up front. So they... Um, make all of this fun and new and interesting wine at like a third of the price, which is amazing. Um, and so if you join Naked Wines and, and are an angel, uh, you get to try these awesome wines and it's free shipping too. I didn't know that. So um, I love working our way through the case and it's nice that we have the same one. So yeah. did you try this last time too? Did you have this? I don't think so. I think I had it. I think I had it and I said I liked it. So oh, I gave it more. Is this is the one I suggested us top this one today because I wanted to try it. <laughs> yeah, totally. You actually didn't have this one. I'm just had to like go back to my notes. You had oh. a Cab Sav that episode. You had a um, Camille Benita. I'm excited. Yes. Oh. And I liked it. So that's probably why they were like, hey, have some more. 
Exciting. I'm excited to try it then. Yeah. So thanks, Naked Wines. Cheers. Thanks, Naked Wine. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still like it. Love yeah. It. It, it's not overly heavy and it doesn't make mm-hmm. me feel like I need a steak with it. Like I think I can easily do an episode with this. <laughs> yeah. It goes mm-hmm. down really smooth. Um, It's not like super bitter or anything either. Um, no, it's really good. See. Yeah. It's fleshy plum, blueberry, cocoa, caramel. It's like perfect for the fall. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Very good choice. Thank you, Naked Wines. So we did have a question from one of our Patreon users. Um, she says, I know this is a long one. It's Mama Ali. But I was wondering how you guys met and what the process was of getting the podcast started and working with Herdot and Sasha. Love the podcast videos and love the Patreon content. I hate that I miss all the live streams because we do our weekly live streams on there. <laughs> um, it is hard because we're in different fun. time zones. I know. It is. Yeah. Um, we met through Herdot, actually. Yeah. 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 So it was super cool. Um, Herdat reached out to me um, from uh, on Twitter, actually. And I had a meeting and um, I met with Max and we vibed really well. And we got along on all like the true crime stuff that I had been looking at at the time. And our friendship kind of formed from there. And we have been friends kind of ever since. And um, that yeah. was the idea for Innocent Till Tipsy was born. When I heard that um, you were a true crime TikToker and was like, stalking i was like this is so awesome i can't wait to meet you and then obviously we just couldn't stop talking about true crime so it worked out really well to record it and that's also why it works good for patreon because we don't stop talking afterwards like okay i stopped the recording we're like yeah but we we're not done um so no it's great that um we just get to talk about true crime and Honestly, like a lot of the cases that you've focused on or that we've got to highlight have brought awareness to mental health issues or domestic violence or um, I mean, there's just a lot or wrongful conviction. So there's a lot of missing people. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of awareness that's brought out of it, not just chit chatting. And so I feel like that's why it's also great to move from just like a friendly conversation to actually a podcast format. Yeah. And I think about the why. I'm so glad we got along too because originally it was just going to be me talking at a camera and you guys don't know how hard that is like sitting and like talking for I was like this is horrible so it's good to have Max not only to bounce off of but also to help with like looking researching the content and looking at things and taking over the wine portion of the show I don't ever have to worry about the wine because Max has got it (laughs) I feel like right now I have the easy job I have like a a killer gig here because I just show up and drink wine <laughs> and now that naked wine has sent us wine i'm like i don't even have to go go looking for it i'm like just open the case what do we have it's great no it's perfect so if you would like to ask us questions or be featured on the show like mama ali was make sure you're joining our patreon we do have so much additional content we have vlogs right now um weekly live q a so it won't just be like one question like this uh we do chat and um hang out on there so make sure you are joining us on there but Without further ado, let's get into the horrifying exorcism of Annalise Michelle. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Annalise was born to Anna and Joseph Michel on September 21st, 1952 in West Germany, and she's from a really small town. It's called Klingenberg. Totally butchering that pronunciation. Um, but there's about 6,200 people to this day there. So not a huge area to be working with. Um, no. No. She was one of several siblings. Let me send you over a family photo so you know who I'm talking about yeah. here. Now, I couldn't find online how many siblings she had or kind of what the deal was with that. Um, but she, I think, was of like it was sisters it wasn't just like siblings siblings you know what I mean? like there wasn't uh, any brothers involved just girls by the looks of it and that's kind of what i got the gist of concerning every article i read about her but there was no like list of this was who this is this is who this is and that's annalise behind her mother in the middle or she's the oldest she's the she's the oldest i think she's one of the oldest of the children was what all the articles kept saying there was nothing like really specific when I looked at it. Um, but she did have another sister that we'll talk about that I believe was a little older than her that had some health issues. And we'll touch on her here shortly. Her name so is Martha. There's four siblings in this picture, maybe a fifth one. Maybe the, a fifth one. See. Cool. That cool. passed away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So at the time that all of this started going on, and honestly, from it was it started in the early 60s there was a movement in the catholic church known as vatican ii have you heard anything about Vatican? yes II? i okay. do know about this here we go it's you like might know. The, yeah it's like the catholic rules were like okay time for like us to revisit this and they kind of uh like re-upped the rules of catholicism i don't know that's probably mm -hmm. an oversimplification but is that no that's so that's a good simplification. Yeah, I actually had to contact someone about this. I had to like phone a friend because I was like, I am not Catholic and I need to know what the situation was. It seems so it, like you had to um, fast before communion or something like that, like for example. Yeah. And then they were like, okay, well, I, and otherwise you weren't supposed to be taking communion, Think I think. And so then they were like, okay, well, we don't want people killing over during communion. Like it's not sinful to eat before communion now. Like yeah, things like that. Yeah. Like they just re-updated like to things that make sense now. Yeah. So it wasn't the, it wasn't exactly like they didn't change any theology parts of the religion. Right. It was just changing how the church operated. And it was in hopes to actually make the church bring it into the modern world because yeah. they still seemed a little bit behind the times, I guess you would say. So like way back when the priest actually used to give his homilies or um, sermons, as some of us might know them as like back to the congregation and he'd only give it in Latin. Well, now they're like, okay, well, what if you faced your par parishioners and you spoke in their native tongue and not some language that nobody understands anymore. And so things like that started to change. The nuns stopped wearing their habits. They, well, they had the option. They could wear their habits or they could like not. Mm -hmm. Now you see like a lot of them with the little headbands, right? Like the, yeah. instead of like the full um, garb. So, but as you can imagine, a lot of people weren't exactly thrilled about these changes in the Catholic Church. No, because it's like, wait, the rules are changing? Like, it just doesn't make sense to some people. I get that. 
Yeah, yeah, I totally get it as well. And, mm-hmm, and the Michelle family was a conservative, devout mm. Catholic home. So they were one of the families that were like, I'm not really a fan of these sudden changes. Now, mind you, this took sure. years. It was started by a pope um, named Pope John the 23rd. He was doing this. Like he got the ball rolling, but he had cancer. So he knew he wasn't going to make it to see it like come to fruition, but he got the ball rolling. The next Pope took over and saw all the changes um, through, but a lot of parishioners, they lost a lot of parishioners during this time. The Catholic church did. And they, while they didn't lose the Michelle family, the Michelle family, along with their community, along with their local priests, not a fan of Vatican too. Mm. So Keep it in mind when going forward, because I do think this has a lot to do with why the demon possession happened. I see. Mm-hmm. And you know, I so, went to the Vatican City. I went to, no. um, yeah, I, oh gosh, now I can't think of the most famous church with the, you know, the artwork. Um, oh my God. It's, the Sistine Chapel? Sistine Chapel. Yes. Come on. Mm-hmm. Now I can't even remember. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I went to the Vatican and the Catholic museum of catholicism or whatever it's called um sorry no you're okay <laughs> well, I mean, I'm like i'm like sorry to everyone i'm not else that i'm not re- yeah remembering exactly what it's called anyhow yeah the sistine chapel so they have yeah. a huge mu- museum that walks you through like the history of the church and ancient civilizations and everything else so that yeah. would be so cool that would be it's so cool. super cool oh um, Annalise's mother, extremely devout, extremely strict. Okay. She had the girls and herself at least go to church twice a week. So she's going to mass twice a week. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Joseph was included in this. Joseph is the girl's father. He said to care deeply for his children, but at the same time was extremely emotionally withdrawn. Okay. This is something else we should be keeping in mind. It's 1970 something when all this starts to go down 60 something when all this starts to go down. We're under 30 years from World War II. Joseph had served in the Nazi German Mm -hmm. army in World War II. So we got a lot of heavy beliefs going on here, whether or not he was fully in the Nazi camp at all. But we've got the heavy Catholicism. We we did serve in the war. A lot lot going on. Now, back to Annalise's home life and it being strict. Anna, their mother, was described as very suffocating and overbearing. The girls were not allowed to hang out with boys. And it was so strict that if their friend, say, has a brother, you can't go over to their house. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's some pretty strict rules. Yeah. I didn't realize that this took place in Germany till you obviously like d- are digging into Annalise's case. Mm-hmm. Um because Emily Rose takes in place in the US, right? The movie. She does. Yeah. The movie. But, like, takes you wouldn't place in the think States. about like, oh, that her father was, you know, like that they're in Germany or that mm-hmm. he had been in the war or something. Yeah. Just and that there might be to Emily yeah. Rose. And there might be a heavy stigma and fear surrounding possibility of mental illness as well, or even yeah, epilepsy. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the other thing is too, the girls, they like just didn't have their own lives. The parents had no boundaries when it came to how they were running their household. No, pri- no privacy was given to the girls. They had no freedom for self-expression. They were not allowed to go to any school functions like dances. They were told what to wear, what to read, and what was suitable to discuss. 
It seems so overbearing, but then you have to think. So Martha, um, Annalise's older sister, supposedly, like I found it was hard to find information on her siblings, but Martha, she died at the age of eight due to complications related to kidney disease. So you can also see where the parents yeah, might be a little they, bit more overbearing on their kids as well. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Okay. Annalise had also always been a very sickly young girl. She suffered from mumps as a child and would eventually suffer from tonsillitis as well as tuberculosis. Now, while she, she was she had stuck, it all, that's she had it all, and she died at 23. So you're like, cheese and crackers, this poor girl. So when she was sick with the mumps and she was stuck in bed, and would her mother was like overbearing, like sitting around mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. her kind of thing. Whenever Annalise would start to complain about her ailments or the situation she was in, her mother would just begin to pray the rosary extremely loud over her daughter. So just <laughs> ignoring that, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, and, it's also the times too. I mean, I guess in that setting seems, and not surprised for her mother, but you're no. like, I just need a drink of water, really. Yeah. Another blanket, please. Yeah. Shoot. Poor girl. Yeah. Poor girl. And so her mother would use all these ailments as reasons for her not to socialize with other members of, you know, her own peer oh. group. I know. And she had a lot of pressure as the now oldest sibling of the house to be a good example for the younger siblings and with all of these pressures and an already failing immune system, there would be a doctor, Dr. Leonard who would diagnose Annalise at a very young age with neuroses. He said it was due to having a father that didn't understand her and a mother. She had an intense hatred for. I wonder what the, how you clinically diagnose someone with neurosis. Like what does that mean? I know. I know. So I read a book about this. It was translated from German. So it was a little rough of a read. Um, I also read a ton of articles from the time. Um, If you read stuff, it's hard because some places are of the distinct belief that she was possessed and others are like, good God, what the hell happened here? Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's a very interesting case to research 110%. But I think the common belief now is that there was a lot of physical ailments um, concerning Annalise. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So Annalise did experience some kind of reprieve from her controlling household at 13. She went to school and we're going to have to get Sasha to put this word up. I'm so sorry, Sasha. It's like Asha, Asha. I'm not going to try Germany is a little town in Germany. Um, don't know if it's a little actually ignore me, <laughs> but it's a town in Germany. This we know, which was a train ride away from her home. So she gets a little bit more distance, you know, from home. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Here she was happy. She was healthy and she enjoyed athletics. And I wanted to give you, I thought this photo was really sweet of her because it shows a little bit more of her personality. We see her in like the school photos. Her was family photos. Go there school or something. Yes, it was for school and she would come home at night too. So it wasn't like a boarding school situation, but she was able to ride the train and kind of get outside of her family home. Yeah. Have Um, some autonomy. That's cool. Yes. And here, while she was there, she was described as a very happy, healthy child that enjoyed athletics even. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's happy. She's got a big smile. Yeah, and she was very playful. She's wearing a color. Yes. (laughs) A little bit of a color photo. (laughs) Um, But this all kind of changed when she experienced the first symptoms of her illness. And this illness would first be medically diagnosed and then soon became spiritually diagnosed. So this first reported incident was when she was 16 years old in 1968. 
she basically like blacks out during class. She's in this like trance-like state. Okay. Just like staring off. Mm -hmm. And when her friends were able to ask her what on earth happened, she said she just must have zoned out, like been super tired from studying. Right. But that same night around midnight, she awoke suddenly paralyzed and felt as though something was pressing down on her chest. She was struggling to breathe and then she lost bladder control. Now, to me, this sounds a lot like sleep paralysis as someone that has suffered with sleep paralysis as well. Maybe not the losing bladder control part, but like everything else. I'm like, yeah, you feel like you can't get up. You feel like you can't move. Like I, sometimes you see a shadowy man in the corner. I don't know if you've ever had sleep paralysis. So it's not a good time. <laughs> okay. No, I have not had sleep paralysis and no, I am not an MD. Um, but those all seem like physical things that could be explained. Mm-hmm. So this episode didn't last long at all, but when Annalise woke up, she didn't want to bother her family. So she waited until the next morning to tell her mom about it, but it didn't happen again. And it didn't happen until about a year later in 1969. So it was pretty spaced out. Yeah. 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 So same thing, same exact thing happened. So at this point in time, her mother's like, well, maybe we should go see a doctor because it's the second time around. Not totally normal. So they refer her to a neurologist. Now, this examination of Annalise came back with no abnormal results concerning her brain scans and everything. But this doctor, this neurologist did suspect that Annalise was experiencing grand mal seizures. Already, there's a huge sense of shame about Annalise's condition. Her mother encourages her to not say anything to anyone outside of the family. She does not want the church to know about it, especially, and she does not want Annalise's peers to know about it. That's crazy. That's, mm -hmm. I mean, because now you're like, that's nothing to be ashamed of. That's your body, like, having, a, a, like, its own issues medically. But I'd say, like, we shouldn't, sh we don't shame people anymore. Like, oh, we don't do that anymore. We totally do. Shoot, even yeah. COVID, we were just talking about this this last week <laughs> here. When we had patient zero, her name was, like, published in the paper and everywhere Stop. that she had went. Yes, and we were like, oh, this, and, um, yeah. And so we're like, I remember when I first got COVID, because I got it really early. And um, I remember people were like, are you going to tell people that you had it? I'm like. Yeah, it's like getting the flu or the cold. Or, like, it's mm -hmm. not like I don't know why anyone would be ashamed that you had COVID. Like, it just, yeah, I caught it. Okay. So, I, I mean, like, I get why that's, it's insane to think that they'd be that shamed for having seizures. But then you I get that she loses think. bladder control too. And then yeah. it's probably really strange for those around yeah. her. Yeah. So her mother was said to be fearful of gossip and assumptions, but I got to think mm -hmm. too, we're just, we're under 30 years out of world war two. There's also got to be a little bit of fear still left in the German mindset of what, not just what people will think, but people were literally killed for things like this in the war. You know, people were dragged out of their homes, you know, for simple health issues and especially mental health issues. So that too kind of weighs on my mind of how you would be extremely stressed out, you know, even if it's just something that like PTSD almost kind or of being situation. disabled for sure. Yes. A hundred percent. Mm-hmm. So it was during this time that Annalise came down with tuberculosis, though. So she actually was sent to a sanitarium during this time. Whoa. That's I know. So she stayed there. She would receive letters from home. But these letters read a lot like sermons. But Annalise seemed really happy to receive them. And religion was becoming more of a comfort to her rather than an annoyance that it seemed to have had been. 
And it was while at the hospital in 1970 that she had her third episode. Now, like the other, she's paralyzed. She's feeling something pressed down on her chest. Again, loses control of her bladder. Now she's unable to yell. This is a lot like sleep paralysis too. She can't yell. She can't move until it's over. And then when it's over, she's screaming and everyone's like looking over at her. Like, you know, she's got all these peers around her too. Cause she's staying in this hospital and they're like, what the hell? Like you're fine. You know? Yeah. What's so, the deal? Yeah, because all of her symptoms have subsided. So the nurse comes over, comforts her, gets her cleaned up, gets her back to bed. But this is when her peers really begin to distance themselves from Annalise. And they constantly refer to her as snot-nosed. Hey, kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So this became a really dividing piece of the puzzle between Annalise and anyone outside of her religion, her home that kind of situation had her cling more to religion and to her own household and not long. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not long after this third event in her diary, Annalise would describe a day where the entire day she smelled something sweet. And because of that smell, she said it smelled like violets. It felt very euphoric. And she said that she saw colors more visible. Like it was just like a really, really, really great day. Right. She's in ecstasy all day. So those around her, though, were alarmed because they said that she seemed to be in that trance-like state again, and her arms were, like, hyperextended. They said, Whoa. like, a cat's. Yeah. That's so nice. all day, she's walking around with, like, these hyperextended arms, and they're all like, girl, you good? Yeah. And also, it's just reminding me, too, I forget. We'll have to Google it after this. There's a um, medical, like, term or whatever diagnosis for wh- if you – I think it's if you taste or if you smell, it's like maple syrupy mm-hmm. uh, or if your breath smells like maple syrup, it's, it's something that has to do that. It's like a really sweet taste or smell. Then it's either you've been, po- you've been poisoned or you have this, I don't remember. It's like something medical. So the fact that she's like ha- having all these symptoms, it's like s- someone should diagnose her with something. Well, I know there's a form of epilepsy that has to do with um, smells, like your sense of smell. Oh. And we learned about this because I lived in Canada most of my life. And in Canada, there's something called heritage moments that well, used to be something called heritage moments that for like a minute to 30 seconds, they'd come across your screen like a commercial on television. And there was this one woman, this man had like come up with something um, concerning brain surgery. He was a brain surgeon and, and um, how to help people that suffered from epilepsy. But this woman, it was like iconic this line in Canada, especially as young people, we thought it was like the best line ever. I smell burnt toast. And so, but that would, that would be what would set her epilepsy off was the, I smell burnt toast. Yeah. And then she would end up with seizures and the doctor was able to fix that for her. So it is something that can go along with epilepsy as well. So yeah. Well, apparently this is totally medically unrelated, but I figured it out. It's, (laughs) it's, why do I smell maple syrup everywhere? It's the symptom <laughs> of maple syrup urine disease. It's literally called MSUD, and it's when you can't break down like certain proteins. And your urine, sweat, and even the earwax of people with MSUD will often smell sweet like maple syrup. So it's not bad, though. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. 
I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. So back to Annalise. <laughs> yeah, sorry, my brain. No, today. you're good. Like, you're good. There and everywhere. It's like a super gloomy day here today, and I feel like my brain is just like on cruise control. Maybe that's know. what happens when we don't record in the morning. We're like, we have to be <laughs> on our point early. Yeah. <laughs> um, Annalise, though, was convinced that this wonderful euphoric day that, that ended by the end of the day um, was the work of the Virgin Mary. After this event, a doctor treating her um, prescribed anti-seizure medication for her. But for weeks after, Annalise was still hopeful that this blessing would return from the Virgin. Perhaps the Virgin Mary was too busy helping others, she put in her diary. Or maybe the seizure medication could have been working. But perhaps this is also another reason for Annalise's later aversion to medical treatment because it was oh, keeping it, like, the took away the blessing. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. So while the euphoric feeling didn't return, Annalise did seem to take a turn for the worse after leaving the hospital and returning home after she had discontinued the medication that had been prescribed to her. So by the spring of 1973, she was reported to be seeing demonic grimacing faces. Her family noticed changes in her when she returned home immediately, said she was extremely irritable, had frequent outbursts of anger, was distant and moody, and began to have resentments toward Roman Catholic icons like the cross and holy water. She wouldn't even be able to cross the threshold of a church, reportedly, according to her family, after a certain point. Her seizures became more frequent. She began hearing knocking on the walls in her bedroom. However, her sisters also reported to hear those knocks as well. So many speculate that Annalise was knocking herself. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Annalise uh, didn't really know that her arms were like um, hyperextended, you know? So like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like maybe she didn't realize what she, she was, was and wasn't in control of. Yeah, for sure. So after four years of medical treatment, Annalise was like done with doctors. She was frustrated. She was sick of these doctor visits. And she had instead turned to her religious studies, was collecting any articles, any books that she could find on her own Catholic faith, as well as visiting sh shrines in her area. She took trips with her father um, to get blessings. You know, I feel like yeah. I'm speaking kind of out of my own mouth right now but i know you if you do so many hail marys or something at certain places in the catholic faith it's believed that you know you'll be healed or or certain blessings will come to you um mm -hmm. so i feel like that's kind of what she was trying to do there but she soon became convinced that this wasn't a matter of physical or mental health but of spiritual believing she had been chosen as a martyr for a saintly reason to suffer 
This also was a better excuse for her mother, Anna, because she didn't want to deal with the lifelong disorder that was epilepsy or any of the mental health diagnoses that Annalise had been given by actual medical doctors. So when a friend from church suggested that it might be a demonic possession, Annalise and her mother were like, that's it. Yes. Correct. What if she had like Tourette's or something? You know how they have um, tics like or certain um, things that they can Mm -hmm. or cannot do or must do repeatedly. Like, you know, you're like, oh, she can't cross the threshold or she can't be around these certain things. Or like, what if she just had these tics that became like that they say like um, patients that have Tourette's come like discover new tics and they come and go like Mm -hmm. in uh, intensity, I guess. Yeah, so a lot of people believe now um, on that kind of same brainwave um, that she had she had schizophrenia along yeah. with epilepsy. Because um, that so also th- becomes uh, more pronounced or like comes more symptomatic, right? Or something like yeah. when you're in your early twenties, late yeah, 20s, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. or it can be triggered by like certain events, traumatic yeah. events or change. And it's hard to default her. Like, I don't fault her at all for discontinuing her medication because I've heard epilepsy medication can be extremely hard on you. You can end up being like a zombie of yourself or it can change your personality as well, which also may have been what they were seeing as well. Maybe even her coming off of the drugs too is, you know, some kind of change in personality as well. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. But looking at this, I can definitely see how this progression is going. And I don't fault her at all. Um, for kind of the decisions that she made at that point in time. But by this time, Annalise was in college. She was studying to become a teacher. She was actually a student teacher at Wattsburg University. Um, she had a boyfriend at this point in time. His name was Peter. Oh. And he, I know, he was her boyfriend until she died. So I think that, I don't know, he also encouraged her to go home after the the situations just became more and more intense and she couldn't do certain things and she kept having these outbursts, right? Um, So during that time as well, the family had uh, obviously a family doctor that referred Annalise to a neurologist named Dr. Luthi, who again prescribed anti-seizure medication. Dr. Luthi noted that Annalise was obsessed with the idea that Satan was inside of her. And that judgment of fire would be visited upon everyone soon. He said she was very disoriented, indecisive, and random in thought at this point in time. And according to Dr. Luthi, Annalise was incapable of making her own decisions for herself. This was during her visit in September of 1973. So just a couple of years before she passed. So for, for a while, she is totally incapable of making her she own just decisions. like suffered from something like all her life like all, all her life different, yeah ailments and diseases and illness i guess and mental illness or any of it she's like had the whole gone like the whole gamut there yeah so for a time annalise and her parents began to beg the church for some type of intercession like someone help us there's something more going on than this mental health situation that we're dealing with right but the church just continually directed the family back to healthcare professionals. The family soon claimed, though, that Dr. Luthi, that same doctor we were just talking about, told them to see a Jesuit, which is something Dr. Luthi would swear under oath later when everyone was on trial for negligent homicide yeah. that he never did. 
I don't think he did, but that's my own. Like, I think it's very interesting, this whole thing. Yeah. Um, during this time, Annalise began to meet with Father Ernst Alt. He was a local priest in the area, and he did believe that she was possessed. And he was very interested in her worsening con- condition. Very interested. Father Alt would later be diagnosed by two court experts with schizophrenia himself. Oh, that's tough to say then like his, his viewpoint wasn't um, totally objective. No. Mm. Yeah. He claimed that he was, he had special power. So he claimed that he was telepathic as well as psychic. And that's how he was able to tell uh, about a demonic infestation was he would be granted these visions from Jesus Christ himself. So there's like, a lot going on here and it is interesting in the book that i read that was also a catholic book they they were interested in this that they took his word that the church would take his word about an exorcism because of course you have to in the catholic faith you have to get permission to do an exorcism Mm -hmm. to start the right and everything and um it's very interesting that they trusted his word when those are two things psychic and telepathic that the church just does not recognize and does not really want to be a part of so Very interesting turn of events. Um, But yes, many believed he not only encouraged her, like everything that was going on with Annalise, but also that it like like, reinforced that belief clearly. Yes. It amped up. Yeah. Yeah, For sure. Yeah. Because if you look back, we've had instances happening like one, maybe two times a year. Like she hasn't had anything really hit the fan yet. And as soon as Ernst Alt comes into the picture, she is like having these instances happen to her constantly. And it just, it gets crazy. It gets legitimately like out of hand really fast. Um, She told Father Alt in September of 1974 that she could not cope with reality any longer. It's also interesting that during her time with Father Alt, another priest, Father Herman, stated that he observed no demonic influence on the girl. Hmm. Said he saw no hateful speech, no violent behavior when he was around her, comparative to what Father Alt said he saw. And he, um, they would carry out rosary rites. And there was one instance when Annalise was doing um, her rosary like prayer that she said she saw a demonic face and she was too scared to, to pray with her rosary anymore. She didn't, she didn't want to do it anymore. Well, when she was with father Herman, she was able to do it with no issues at all. But whenever she was with father alt things, she always seemed to have these demonic influences. And there's a lot of speculation of whether she had Gershwin disorder as well. That could have been What's amped that? on. So that's like when you feel like there's, let me Google it for a technical term for you before I start (laughs) speaking, but I know it has to do with religion and um, yeah. And this comes from um, temporal lobe epilepsy as well. And it's hyper religiosity, hyper um, sexuality, hyper irritability. So it just like amps everything you're feeling up and they kind of a lot of people have speculated that both father alt and her kind of fed off of each other to kind of create the perfect storm i guess you could say or you know perhaps devil's advocate like she was actually possessed but i don't believe that but yeah sorry i had to look no you're fine i need to go down <laughs> the rabbit hole yeah the rabbit hole well there's so many symptoms and there's so many other things that were like happening to her and seems like triggered in one way or another, whether it's, 
um, too much medication, not enough medication, the wrong type of medication, the, the like hyper religious, um, priest that she's with versus the priest that's like, I don't know, like, I don't know One, she's just very easily influenced also or something. Yeah. Yeah, they say that as well. Um, and the studies that have been done on her was how easily it would have been to influence her. She had no real, um, how do you say it, like power over her own self. Like she had no way to make yeah. decisions. Um, and of course, then you have these men of God that are the closest to God you can get on the face of the earth besides being the Pope in her belief system. So of course, telling her, yeah, yeah, telling her she's possessed. I mean, what are you going to believe? You know, like I, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that you're a martyr for your own religion, which we'll get into that. The possession of atonement is what we'll, mm. about, we're about mm-hmm. to dive into. Um, Interesting. Yes. Father Arnold Renz would be appointed by the Bishop of Wurzburg to carry out the 364-year-old former rite of exorcism with Father Alt. So the two of them together, they're going to do it. They're getting rid of the demons. First, this was based on verbal communication um, from the bishop that they were allowed to carry out a small exorcism, so not the full-blown rite of exorcism, in the summer of 1974. But then by September, they got written permission to do the whole shebang. They're getting rid of this demon. Or demons, we'll come to find out. Hmm. Neither priest had to provide, at that point in time, documentation to the bishop concerning their fears or suspicions that Annalise may be possessed. Seems like a lot was just so kind of thrown goes on this applic- What goes on the application for exorcism then? Well, that's what's weird. I know that it's actually extremely hard to get uh, yeah. exorcism done by the Catholic Church. So this has actually recently become, because of this case, there's a lot more rules now to get yourself. But it wasn't just because of this case. Right before all of this started to happen to Annalise, the exorcist was released upon the public. <gasps> Oh, we've already talked about how that like influenced people anyways, like we were talking about with Dahmer and things like it's just um, like plants a bad seed. Yeah. So that was actually you in other ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In court, Father Alt would say that that was actually one of his things that made him a great person for exorcism was he had read the book that was released in 1971. Okay. So keep times in mind. And he had watched the movie, which was released in 1974. It was speculated that her mother had also watched the movie that seemed to be a highly impressionable film on a lot of true crimes, a lot of situations like this. So this was already out in Germany when all of this started. And oddly enough, the, I mean, the film released in 1974. We are in the summer and the fall of 1974 when her illness takes an immediate turn for the worse. And she's suddenly in a full-blown possession. So it's interesting. It's very interesting. That these influences happen along the, at the same time. That like, correlates with the timeline that she gets when she gets worse. When yeah. Her you know, illness worsens. Yeah, takes a turn. Yeah. So after the first rite was performed, Annalise was reported to feel somewhat better, but her symptoms remained and they would until she died. So it didn't seem to like get any get better. better. Mm-hmm. So now we're in full possession territory, according to these priests. And Annalise did believe at that point in time that she was a martyr for the youth of the Catholic Church and a martyr for the Catholic Church itself because of Vatican II. Oh, because of these changes, she is there to bring things to right. So the priest said 
that they were helping her with the possession of atonement. This meant that it wasn't necessarily brought on by the demons possessing her, but it could have been from God himself as a way to show the church because they believed that there had to be this atonement for sins and she was there to suffer for the atonement of all of the sins of the church. I find it interesting. Interesting. We are in Germany in the 70s, but we're not atoning for World War II. We're atoning for the sins of the Vatican Catholic Church. (laughs) Oh, my. I just think it's interesting. I liken it to the the book of Job, right? Like, it's like she's suffering like Job did, I guess you would say, but not really because Job wasn't possessed. But yeah, that same vein of things. Yeah. Um. In the end, she was the one that insisted against medical help. She did not want any doctors. She did not want anything. But like we said, she can't make decisions for herself. I know. I was going to say, like, I don't think that's actually like uh, she. Yeah, she wasn't like the one that could consent to medical um, treatment. I don't know how laws were in the 70s, clearly. But like someone that's of like I don't know, someone that has that much mental illness or mental health concerns going on, like, don't they have someone else that's supposed to make those decisions for them to consent to treatment? Yeah. <laughs> like, I I feel like at some point her parents should have been like, we're not doing this. Like, we're done. You well, know, her and, like, parents are also influencing her in this direction. So probably not her parents, but like, no, yeah, yeah. I guess that's why we have like different beliefs and systems in place now. Yeah. Even the Catholic church, as you mentioned, like has different practice in place to kind of avoid this from snowballing because of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point in time, she's discontinued all her medications. Um, She claims, well, she, it's weird. So depending on the article I read, she would either claim, excuse me, she would either claim that only one demon possessed her, but possessed her or some places said that over six did. However, the main story that I got was it was more, um, a combination between the priest and herself with what she claimed like owned her body at that point in time. So she said herself that there were six demons inside at one point in time. You can hear it on the recording. If you remember the exorcism of Emily Rose, it literally like plays out like this. Cain from Cain and Abel, Nero, the Roman emperor, Adolf Hitler, who just freshly in his demonhood, I guess, Judas Iscariot, And Lucifer himself, because he didn't have anything better to do. So that's five. I don't know what the time. Like number I'm, six. Number six. This one's the weird one. Okay, so his name is Father Fleshman. Okay, you probably you have no idea. No, nope. sure everyone had, else I- on that list is like, <laughs> okay, yeah, you had a front row seat in hell or something. But like, who's this guy? Well, it's weird to me too because I don't I don't know what the Catholic Church believes, but I know from where I grew up, only demons can possess you, according to the theology I grew up with. Why are all these dead people possessing this girl? Like, it's weird. Did they get a certificate in demonhood in order to possess? Or we are like, like probably desecrating someone's religion. Right now. <laughs> I'm just wondering. We are doing damage here. <laughs> I'm just um, wondering. Yeah, I don't have that answer. Wrong person. Wrong question. <laughs> I'm just wondering. Maybe oh. the Catholic Church believes different things, which is totally fine. But mm-hmm. I'm just. I need a clarification because I don't know. But and maybe spirits can possess other spirits. I don't know. But yeah, no, I've heard question. though that demons um will or like the explanation to answer that question that I've heard yeah. is oh that demons will portray someone. So oh. the demon is portray. Uh, Adolf lying. Hitler. Okay. Yeah. Like, they're liars. Yeah, yeah. Got it. And that's the um, explanation that makes sense to the answer that, I guess. 
Got it. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. So Father Fleshman, he was a local priest from the 16th century from her area, okay, who had been excommunicated from the church for his drunken and womanizing behavior. It was said that he had beat a man to death, okay? Now, lots of the time and even now believe that her being possessed by Father Fleshman was like proof beyond proof that she is demonically possessed because how did this 23-year-old girl know about Father Fleshman? She just wouldn't have known. I would argue it's a small town from her area. What are we talking from about? From her area. Yes. Yeah. Like you don't think- what if she was like abused by him or knew someone that was abused by him? What if that's like planted in there somewhere? Yes. Well, it's like, it's a little bit farther back than her, but yeah, like that stuff doesn't go away. It's not something that a community forgets. I'm like, I lived in oh, a small town most of my life time? from before her time, oh, but so I feel so. like yeah. And not to mention, she was devoutly studying her own faith before all of this started happening. So obviously, like she I just feel like she knew and this is brought into court and we'll talk about that when we talk about the court. But yeah. it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Now, some of her symptoms of possessions included. But again, uh, before I get into this list, it's really hard to tell the veracity of these claims because this is all claims from her parents from the family members that were inside the house and from the priest. These are people that would be put on trial later for murder. So there's a lot of. We'll take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. So she was supposedly eating flies and spiders during her 67 exorcisms. She slammed down on her knees in a prayer position over and over and over again, over 400 times. This is known as genuflecting. And she did it repetitively, like just slamming. Like when you see it in, in Emily Rose, like her just slamming yeah. down, I imagine that's exactly it. She broke her knees and damaged her tendons from this. What? But no matter how, how much it hurt, she just continually kept genuflecting. She ripped the clothes off of her body. She bit a head off a dead bird. She licked her own urine off the floor. In one instance, she hid under the table for two days, barking and growling like a dog. She could be heard screaming through the walls of the family home. She spoke in Latin, which seemed to confound the priest, except for the fact that she studied Latin in school. Um, So all of these still, I'm like just playing like advocate here that like they all go on the list for mental health um crisis too mm-hmm. self-harm mm-hmm. or like you know like well like where you're like physically harming yourself or you're do, you're just doing behaviors that in other like in normal behavior would be really not normal so these all like are things that people with mental in mental health crisis could do yeah it's not unheard of no, and there were. It's not like she's like levitating or something. Like I mean, no. like I'd be like okay, that doesn't happen. But you know what I mean. I'm like mm-hmm. okay, yep. No, what like the family licking your urine. This is not good. Yeah, what the family couldn't get over was how her feats of strength would happen. Like she just had a normal feats of strength um, until like the very end of the whole shebang. But like. I feel like you could argue that maybe those either didn't happen, like her throwing people against the walls and everything like that. Or when you get into these heightened states, sometimes you do have more strength than you normally would, you know, especially if your adrenaline is super pumped up and everything. Mm -hmm. There was one time reportedly, so she's speaking in Latin and everything else when, um, one of the demons said something to one of the fathers, I believe it was father rents when he was there. 
And he had already gone on like this missions trip over to China. So he tried to speak to the demon in Chinese, thinking the demon could speak back to him. And the demon said that he would only speak back to him in German. So there's also that. That brings in a lot of speculation because why would the demon not know how to speak Chinese if it's like this world traveler? (laughs) <laughs> like spiritual no force. explanation except for uh yeah i'm not trying to prove or disprove possession i'm just saying mental illness exists. yeah and, like, and, and that's this, why it's like so different looking at this from a distance yeah and this whole thing too i just want to say like i don't um i don't have any like spiritual beliefs but i don't think that this doesn't mean i don't believe one way or the other i shouldn't say i don't have any spiritual beliefs i don't know what to believe so maybe there is possession that happens and demonic entities do enter people i don't think annalise was demonically possessed i think this was a mental and physical health issue i'm not crapping on anyone's religion or anything like that i just don't think in this situation i think there was a lot of other factors especially the priest which we'll dive into here shortly that fed into this for Mm. a reason there was a political and religious reason that this happened in my point of view but again as we always say research for yourself look at it for yourself read an entire flipping book on this noise <laughs> this was a lot <laughs> um, yes now this part's really messed up annalise did not seek medical help at all right she didn't want any help at all but father ernst did at one point see to bring a doctor into the exorcism may 30th before she dies okay she died on june 30th so literally a month i can't believe she, she hasn't died. been like hospitalized or committed at this point to a mental health institution because it's not in it's not out of the realm of possibilities for this time it's not like people didn't go she you, she was already institutionalized once yeah so may 30th dr richard roth visited annalise's house out of scientific curiosity not Liable. professionally yeah. Is he liable? That's it, they. So you wait till we get to what oh they my, were convicted I can't even of. Imagine it's so gross. So scientific curiosity. He arrives at the house. He claims later in court that she had no injuries when he arrived. However, Father Renz would say she was bruised. She had abrasions to her face, abrasions all over her. But in the courtroom, Doctor Roth would later claim there were no injections against the devil, and that's why he didn't intercede in this matter. She's 63 pounds when she dies. How is that not medically like concerning? Yeah. Yeah. He's concerning. He started going to church after this, so it converted him. But yeah. Wild. 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 Now, there is a Roman ritual that states that one type of possession requires continued fasting and deep prayer by the victim and the exorcist. Because of this, it's thought by many that the priests were actually denying Annalise sustenance in hopes to drive out Satan himself. But they also claim that at the end of her life, Annalise just would not eat. She she did not want to eat. And it's like at that point, this is where the courts began to argue that, well, uh, then it doesn't matter. You get her hospitalized. You tie her down. Like you get, you, you get her help. So she does eat. That's when you get the tube. Like yeah. it, this she's is not making consent. Like con- she's not giving consent or not, not consent to she's treatment. She's not able like, to. She's, she's not, not able, able to. to. Yeah. Yeah. So no matter how many exorcisms were performed, Annalise's condition only worsened. During her last exorcism on June 30th, 1976, Annalise was too weak and emaciated to perform the kneeling prayer positions that she'd done before. Her parents helped her carry through these motions. It's so sad. It's so sad. The only thing she said during this exorcism was, please, absolution. And her last words, many believed, was, I'm afraid. 
She would be found deceased the next day during her many exorcisms. Remember, 67. She would be restrained by ropes and chains. Upon finding her body, her father immediately fled the house to get a natural cause death certificate issued under unusual rush conditions. This immediately raises suspicions on how she passed. When the doctor examined her body, he said he would not grant this natural death. So this is how we're being brought into court. And what's so natural death, they mean like neglect, neglect, neglect. And she finally passed like of natural causes due to neglect. Like, yeah, that's wild. Yeah. So this is where things are very interesting as well, because the family thought when this came out to the public that like the public was going to like suddenly believe in God and we're going to start to change our ways and everything. When the public was horrified, when this all came out, they were like, I can't believe like that yeah. this medieval kind of practice is still going on and that we didn't get help for this young girl. So people are horrified. The two priests that perform these exorcisms are put on trial for neglectful homicide along with her parents, all four in the defensive box. I'm going to share a photo with you of the four of them while they're they were people? in court. They are real yeah. people. Okay, so who's who in this? Okay, so in front we've got Joseph and then the mother. Yep. And then I'm not sure which father is which, but I believe the first one is Father Alt and then Father Renz. I believe, but I might be totally hmm. wrong on it. Okay. Tell gotcha. me in, tell me in the comments if I'm wrong and we'll pin it. We went right um, to left. Right to left, yeah. Right to left, yeah. So the defense for the priests and the two parents were paid for by the church. One of the defense lawyers was a very famous lawyer in Germany who served on the Nuremberg trials for the Nazi war crimes. Uh, Def- and what side on the defense? Uh, defense. Oh, no. For the Nazis. We're in Germany. E. His name is Eric Schmidt Lechner. Um, like, why are you hiring lawyers that already lost a case? A really big one. <laughs> it'd be like hiring Amber Heard. It's like, it'd be like hiring Elaine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you just lost one of the biggest trials in our history. Um, come over well, here. they were kind of war criminals, so that's kind of going that direction. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, they seriously. were big, big shots. That's why. But isn't it so weird too that the church would pay for someone that I don't know? Defended it's interesting. War criminals. I'm telling you, like I'm like this is so interesting. Anyways, the church though does have heavy ties to Nazism. I did want to like kind of bring this in a little bit because I found this fascinating. So. Pope Pius canceled. Was, I, know. <laughs> oh, I know everything we talked about today canceled. <laughs> no, I'm just saying oh it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm not trying yeah, to no, cancel no. anyone. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> this is very interesting. So Pope Pius, he served during World War II. Okay, he's known as the Silent Pope because he didn't say shit during the Holocaust. The Holocaust oh, is Lord. happening. He's just Eek. like silent. But then you also have to think Italy is an ally of Germany. So is the Pope gonna like? be spoken about this i like i don't know but Hmm. a lot of people speculated at the time i did i talked to someone that was old in the church so i was i was getting my information from someone else but um at the time okay um there was speculation that the reason rome was never bombed during world war ii one of the only places that was never bombed right um is because of their ties to the german army now there are ties to a modern pope 
um, from the Nazi party, Pope Benedict, who you might remember, he became Pope, I believe, in 2005, and he's the only Pope in history to step down. He stepped down in 2013. Oh, no, I don't. I'm not Catholic, but um, I'm not either, uh, but yeah. yeah. Hmm. Hmm. But it's interesting. It is. And he's the only pope and it's to step down. And it's very interesting. Like nobody knows really why he stepped down. He said he was getting frail in mind and frail in body. And that's why he decided to step down. That's very respectable because like, I wish our politicians would do things like that when they get to like a certain age. Yeah. 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 That would be nice. But um, when he was younger at the age of 14, Pope Benedict was conscripted into the Hitler youth, which mind you, he had to be at age 14. He had to be. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. all 14-year-old boys were. His brother said that he was an unenthusiastic member to the Nazi party as their cousin who suffered from Down syndrome had actually been taken away by the Nazi regime and murdered at the age of just 14 during an Action T4 campaign for eugenics. Eek, that's horrible. Yeah, that's what I was saying, that um, all sorts of people, not just of Jewish descent, were... Oh, murdered. Murdered. Yeah. So, yeah, that's horrible. Yes. Um, But Pope Benedict did go on to serve in the German Nazi army. Again, he didn't have much choice, but it just is interesting to me how much Nazism kind of not just played into the church, but like into the story. I just think it's so interesting. But it makes sense for the time. Yeah. I didn't realize the intersection. Yeah. Yes. Um, many believe, though, that the, his involvement in the Nazi party was actually what led him to step down from being pope and not his failing mental and physical health. But anyways, um, the defense in this trial, they didn't claim that the devil or God exists like the movie makes you think. And the exorcism. Yeah. Rose. Yes. They claimed that Annalise was a grown adult woman. She could make her own decisions. She made the decisions she wanted to be treated by the church and not by doctors. And it was her right as an adult to seek this treatment. Obviously, Dr. Lithy said she was not in control of her person. So this was obviously brought into court. The yeah, ex- I was going to say, until she can't choose or consent to either either treatment, you know, until she has to have somebody that's her proxy. Yes. Now, the exorcism tapes that we talked about at the beginning of this, they would be partially released to the public and played in court as well. As evidence? Um, as evidence. And you know what's uh, horrifying? I read great. articles... Oh, yeah. And I read articles at the time, too. And they talked um, about how her sister, one of them had fled the courtroom in tears during one point of hearing her sisters. Like, I just couldn't imagine the trauma that was inflicted on the other girls in the family. Oh, that were there in the house with her, their sister. Yeah, yeah. It'd be awful. Um, but to prove the point that Annalise's possession had been one of atonement, they released these tapes and it was the priests themselves that released these tapes and they because of Vatican II. This is why they released it. They said, you know, she was atoning for the sins of the people. So the prosecution claimed that throughout the trial, the bruising and wounds on Annalise's body could never fully be explained away by the priests they could never make any sense of it now Ernest alt he would claim that these were stigmata wounds however she had them all over her body it wasn't like stigmata if you don't know is supposed to be the wounds of christ sometimes in blister form or other wounds on your body from when he was crucified this these wounds did not show that um also, she had been like at the end of her life, she'd been punching herself in her face. You can see she's got yeah, her, her eyes. eyes are like her whole face is very yeah, black and blue sunken in on itself, too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Not to mention, every medical professional questioned concerning their involvement with Annalise said that she suffered from epilepsy and other possible mental health issues like schizophrenia brought on by her extreme religious beliefs, not demonic possession. And those are people that actually evaluated her during her lifetime. Seems a little extreme to say brought on by her religious beliefs. (laughs) I know. Hereditary or... It was probably the defense being like, Ah, <laughs> we're closing this case. Uh, maybe um, exacerbated by her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one medical professional testifying said she couldn't, she could have been saved actually at least a week before her own death if a medical professional had been allowed to intercede or had intercede. Cough, cough, Dr. Roth, cough, cough. Because um, he'd been there too almost up until her death, like giving her cold compresses and things like that, but never really means a little more than a cold cold washcloth my friend yikes yes as a medical professional that seems like he had a duty and would be negligent yes it would also come out in court that father fleshman that we talked about earlier that beat to death a man and was a womanizer and a drunkard he actually had been a part of Ernest Alts that father his like research into the area so when he was like oh i'm going to be based in this area i'm going to research like who these people are and if there's oh, reparations well, he would have known about that yeah, so, you would have known mm-hmm. about it. Reportedly, he went over to Michelle's house and was talking to them about all of this within Annalisa's earshot. So that's how she would have or could have known. Yes. Hello, Sorry. little. <laughs> oh, Wait, this, this is Cynthia. Cynthia. I see. I was like, can see. So I got a cat on my lap. <laughs> cat on my lap. <laughs> we will gotcha. share that reel with you. You, you got to remake <laughs> this. Now you can. The cat on my lap. Oh, gosh. But yes, so Annalise knew about this. It was within her earshot. And the next week after she had heard this whole story, she was possessed by him. So it's interesting. So why continue with the exorcisms? Like you get to 67 and it's like, when did they like, don't you think they'd get to like 10 and look around at each other and be like, something's not working. Like maybe we do something different. Maybe well, they kind of did, didn't they? Else? Like start, uh, like doing like the longer right, and like they kind of escalated their own behavior to kind to of say, like, this isn't working. We got to do something different. Yeah, kind of, but yeah, just, it's like, just in the medical, like helpful direction, just in the <laughs> other direction. I just wish, like, it's like the definition of insanity. You keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. You expect something else to happen, and it's like this is getting only worse, like pr- progressively worse, like quite horrifyingly um so many actually speculated at the time and now that the local priests had their own ambitions and that the exorcism concerned more church politics and their disapproval of vatican ii so one of the recordings you can actually hear the demon requesting the priest go back to preaching on the pulpit why on earth would a demon request that priests do anything better for getting the word out about jesus i don't know uh i don't don't know how to answer that i'm just saying like this is yeah this is taking a very strange turn it is yeah and what's the priest's motive like you said like the um prosecution says yeah what was really sad to me was hearing some of the recordings and one of the major um insults annalise would give herself you know when the demons are like you i'm possessing this slut or like whatever and she would say slut and all of that um was calling her snot-nosed which was the same insult that her peers had once used against her now it was also speculated and i believe it's true as well that it was less shameful 
Annalise's family saw it as less shameful for her to be saddled with a short-term demon or demons than something like a lifelong affliction, like epilepsy or some type of mental health issue. Um, like you think about the German feelings towards mental health at that point in time, considering her parents' links to Nazism. There, it would be a, a scary time, I would think, especially if they weren't like a part of, the, or even if they were a part of the Nazi party in like an enthusiastic way, unlike Pope Benedict. But like that would be scary to think my child has this, and this would not be seen as the the Aryan kind of way of life. You know what I mean? Like, well, also they're very uh, strong. They have very strong religious beliefs, so I mean, it's mm -hmm. natural that they would believe that over a medical explanation. Yeah, especially a medical explanation that could bring like shame or, or not even shame, just like ostracize them. Ostracize exactly from the yeah. community for like genetic mm -hmm. impurity as it was seen by them. So I'm yeah. sure they felt like not blaming it on religion, but accepting that this is, oh, this is because she's possessed is a much easier yeah. explanation. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel, I feel, I felt like this since beginning researching this, I felt like Annalise was born number one and to the wrong time. And I think to the wrong family, like, I just feel so bad. Like at the young age of 23, I, it's all over and um, it didn't need to be like, you know, one of my best friends in high school suffered from epilepsy and it never was something that hindered her at all in her life. Um, so it's very weird to me to read about this and be like oh this was such Super a strange deal. that it gets all this way like that it goes this far that she actually dies and then it has to go to court it's like a yeah. very extreme situation very um so by the time like i mentioned before it was decided by father alt and rents that she was demonically possessed the exorcist had been released in germany um there had also been an increase in people claiming to be possessed by demons so the church was kind of already putting up those walls that of like now like like the warrens did it's a leak in your wall like you know like it's not what you think it is it's no yeah. big deal um and but father alt claimed that this was a part of his his rapport of how he knew how to exercise people and Annalise herself, like the symptoms just progressively got worse after that film. So in the end, end of trial, we're figuring things out. Um, no one served any jail time for this, but all of them were found guilty of negligent homicide. Whoa. What'd they get for a sentence then? So originally they were sentenced to six months in prison, but this was suspended for three months per, or th yeah, three months probation. Three months probation. You get more time for like stealing a car. I say you get, you get more time for shooting a deer out of season. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. It's horrifying. Were the Absolutely. priests allowed to continue being priests? I think so. Yeah. They were like slap on their wrist. Okay. Yeah. Gucci. That's awful. That's well, insane. that's weird because a lot of people, so people still visit her grave to this day. And some people are Satanists um, who believe that, and not like I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the temple of Satan. I'm talking, or the um, the satanic temple. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about like the old school Anton LaVey, the church of Satan. Mm -hmm. um, so some people that believe like that are visiting her because of the demon situation. And some people visit her as a martyr for like the Catholic church and still heavily believe that she was in fact a martyr as she said she was in her life and yeah so and if you read the comments it's so interesting on different youtube videos because i looked at anytime i looked at 
people looking into this case, all of the comments were like, this poor girl, I can't believe her mental health was ignored like this. But then if you looked at other videos of like news reports, because her house actually recently burned down in like 2013, and supposedly you could see her ghost in the smoke, and like, it's just like, let the girl rest. But um, people were commenting, and they were like, that poor girl lost to demons. And I'm like, Okay. Um, but, <laughs> but I also feel like there's hey, this not trying to prove her. or disprove demons. We're no, just saying that like mental health, case, she was totally neglected, like medically. 100%. And I'm not saying they couldn't have done the religious rights along with mental health practices. That's a the thing. They could have gotten a doctor involved along with the exorcism rights. You know, like it could have been a joint. I think if they'd done it more joint, then she would still be alive today, you know, and maybe, you know, like it just would have always get the the circle around help, you know, like how many people believe in like five different gods to cover all bases when they die? Like that's how like cover all the bases, get the mental and the physical and the spiritual help, get it all in one go. Um, but yeah, more scientifically, we know that I am having spiritual <laughs> beliefs or beliefs in higher power or beliefs in, something else you think about like cancer patients that also have yeah. a purpose heal faster or or have like i don't know it, it just better outcomes like better yeah. outcomes yeah with positive vibes i guess so yeah. like not to say she shouldn't have or shouldn't shouldn't have done exorcisms i'm not even going there i'm just saying medically she should have had treatment because she wasn't able to make decisions for herself definitely so during the trial Annalise's body would actually be exhumed. That's so so it's hard to find information on this because if you go to the Wikipedia page, it seems like it's completely wrong. They say that her family exhumed it after the trial, saying that they wanted to bury her more properly. They'd done it in a rush, blah, 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 blah. I, from all the other sources I see, that's not true. Mind you, we know Wikipedia can be extremely false. So what I'm seeing from the other sources is none had a vision, okay, that they saw Annalise fully intact. Now, if she is supposedly, according to the Michelle's family beliefs, I don't know if this is the Catholic church, but according to the Michelle's family beliefs, along with this nun, excuse me, if she had been fully intact, this would have proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that the devil like did possess mm -hmm. her. And that this all anyways, they exhume her body. She is as deteriorated as you or I would be at that point in time. So her father did argue he showed like a photo and I'll send you the photo. It's not of her body. Oh, it's, it's like, please like, no more photos. No, no more photos. It's not of her body. It's of the casket that he mm. said kind of proved that she was demonically possessed. But I don't see how this. What about photo... that would prove what? Yeah, that's what I don't understand because it's literally the casket. Like I don't see Annalise at all in this photo. I don't know what we would be looking at here. It's a casket. That's what, it's a casket with like some guy behind it. Like I don't get, he said something about the oval and then he says there was a handprint on the top of it that proved the devil's handprint was on the casket. I don't see any of that, but mind you, a, he's a father mourning his child. I can't tell him what he did or did not see, but to me, it just doesn't look like that at all in the photo. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I'm just looking at the photo. I don't see what mm -hmm. I'd be looking at, but uh, okay. Yeah. Another side note here. All right. Two, 2005 rolls around. We now have the right. exorcism of Emily Rose movie. Terrifying, terrifying, but very sympathetic to those convicted of negligent homicide. Do you remember? Cause the parents uh, and one priest in that movie, parents, one priest are on trial for the murder of this girl, right? Or just the priest. No, the girl, the parents the aren't even involved. Thought. Just the priest. Yeah. yeah. And it's and like from a reporter or something. Yeah. Right. And, 
she ends up like believing in God and everything at the uh, end of it. And it's all like, does the devil or does Jesus like who is who is who? God this is around the times again of the like based on a true story movies. Oh, They're, like yes. everything is based on a true story. <laughs> so everything is like terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's just interesting to me how sympathetic it was and how much it highlighted the paranormal aspect of this whole thing now oh absolutely they made it she i was like she's like double jointed and she's like uh yeah like crawling all over the place i mean in the movie um, oh yeah well you watch yeah. that movie and you think that girl was a hundred percent demon possessed a hundred percent and then when you look at this case to me i'm like this girl was a hundred percent not well um now anna michelle annalise's mother did not see the film i think she would have liked it if she'd seen it because it painted her in a really good light but she would not watch the movie she said of it i don't want to see the film and i don't know about the making of it joseph had passed six years prior to the film's release i don't think anyone would want to relive this so even though she's in a good life probably good light probably no need no. Now I found this interesting. This is from Unplugged. I don't know if you know that that website where um, my mom used to visit it often when we were kids. <laughs> I don't know if it was called Unplugged, but it's the Christian website where like you want to know what your kids are going to watch before they watch it. So you want to know like, does the dog die? Is there oh. cursing? You know, that kind of thing. Like, is this appropriate to show the youth? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, and I looked this movie up on here because I wanted to know what they said. Surprisingly, they were very positive about this film. I think it's because it does push the Christian faith quite a bit. Like it, it really does. Like if you watch it, I remember being like, Jesus help me tonight. Like I am not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my soul. Was this written but, like a long time ago? I don't know that like Christian churches would want youth to watch this. So I mean, sure there's like a lot of other <laughs> more wholesome things to enjoy. Definitely. But they were nicer than I thought they would be about it. Um, But okay. they said co-writer with Paul, whatever, and director Scott, a graduate of Biola University said his purpose in making Emily Rose was quote unquote, not to persuade and not to provide any metaphysical answer to the question of whether demonic possession is real. His purpose in the words of the religion columnist, Terry Mattingly was to make believers think twice about what they believe and doubters have their doubts about their doubts. Well, it's something you you kind of like suffer a lot through going through that movie. <laughs> that movie's rough. That end goal. That's a rough movie. But yeah, so that is I don't know, like now we have that film. Um I find it somewhat accurate except not at all accurate. I don't know. I don't know. But this well, was Well, I follow a story it follows the same storyline a lot more closely that it she does. was suffering from these things. Mm-hmm. She was uh, exercised by the Catholic Church, and then she dies, and then there's a court case. So yeah. those facts align. And she did go That's to university. Yeah, yeah. She did have a nice boyfriend named Peter. Um, I can't believe yeah. you almost made me watch this film again. <laughs> well, I wanna, no need. Uh, maybe I'll do it before we do our Q and A on Patreon because I really want to rewatch it and now with like all this knowledge because I'd never really looked at it. Sure. I looked at it enough to know. So when this when this movie came out, I'm still devout Christian, 
absolutely terrified by this movie. I remember I actually called my roommate. I was living in an apartment at that point in time. She had gone to church that night. I had not. I decided to put on a spooky movie. That was the one that was most successful. One roommate goes to church. One roommate watches Emily Rose. <laughs> Exorcism of Emily Rose. And it was like during the recording, you know, because it turns on. That's one of the most scariest parts of that movie for me. Oh, is she, yeah. The lawyer goes to bed. And then it, the audio, the recording just turns itself off. I have chills thinking about it right now. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so well, scary. The barn scene. Isn't there like a horrifying exorcism in the barn or something? And that's yes. when she's like thrashing around, talking in tongues and like all, yeah. all the demons. Yeah. 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 Telling who no, it's just like her. sticks with you. Yep. No, thanks. Yeah. And so I called my roommate at church and I was like, when are you coming home? I need you to get home right now. I'm like, I'm so scared. Um, so yeah, it was, um, a highly impressionable film on me. And I remember the only time I looked it up was to see if it was really real. Like, was this girl really demonically possessed? And I remember at the time after looking at it, um, I was like, okay, she was real, but I don't think she was demonically possessed. And then that's as far as I got with it. But now looking at it and seeing the movie really does follow along with the truth quite accurately. She did go to university. She did have a boyfriend, you know, her family was religious. They don't really portray. I would say her home was a bit abusive in my mind, looking at how or emotionally neglectful. Yeah. Yes. And how overbearing her mother was as well. So they don't really portray that, but I am interested in revisiting it and maybe talking to our patrons about it because I'm like, yeah, this is a lot homework for you. Homework for me. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> but yeah, that's the awful story of Annalise Michelle. I feel so bad. I'm not saying anyone's not demonically possessed. Um, I know my mother know. was talking to me about this before she left today um, from visiting me. And she is still extremely Christian. And she was like, I don't think this is how this works in my religion. But yeah, I just wish there had been um, actual jail time for this because I think people yeah. should have been held more responsible on this noise, especially it happened over years. It wasn't just like a, eh, it's, she, she died of starvation and dehydration. That's pretty wow. rough. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I know for myself, since transitioning to a working from home environment, the importance of taking care of your own mental health. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Now, it's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. The service is available for clients worldwide and you can log into your account anytime, day or night to message your therapist. It's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy and financial aid is available. You can visit their website and read other clients' testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash ITT, that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And for listeners of Innocent Told Tipsy, you can go to their website and get an additional 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash ITT. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash I-T-T. Yeah. And That's 68 pounds. 68 pounds. Um, and she looks like a totally different person at the end. But yeah. Horrifyingly scary Oof. case, but for other reasons than usually believed. But yeah, that is the awful case of the exorcism of, of Annalise Michelle. Um, and yeah. Wild. Wild. So. All right. I'll have more on this this week on Patreon, but for now, this is all I got. Until <laughs> next time. Then. Right, next time. time. Cheers. Cheers.
Huda Media Production.